The year is 2003. Tom is your first friend on MySpace. 50 Cent costs a dollar on iTunes. The Terminator becomes the Governator. And nobody can find those weapons of mass destruction. T-minus 20. Rewind 20 years with Joe and Mel. Week of 14 September 2003. T-minus 20. The rest is history. Britney, bitch. T-minus 20. You need to nominate two housemates. If you think you're some bitches full of crap, give me a hell yeah. Welcome to Jackass. Welcome to the podcast where I'm going to try and lift my game this week. I feel like I was a bit of a miserable bastard uh, because it was the birthday thing last week and I just, it doesn't, um. doesn't sit well with me. So it's T minus 20. It's a podcast where we rewind to this week, 20 years ago in news, pop culture, weather even, which yes. I can't believe is what what we're going to do this week. But this is your host, Joe and Mel, here in the studio uh, having a beverage because it's always five o'clock somewhere. Hi, Mel. What's your problem with weather content? Nothing. You're an old man. You enjoy I your weather the station. Weather. And I love it. A rain gauge. Yeah. I stop do. Complaining I do. about it. I love that I can just ask Siri. I don't even need to look it up now, and she just tells me. Oh, she's often wrong, actually. She, the he, they, them. No 14, one's ever wrong with the weather. Fourteen to twenty September two thousand three yes. mm-hmm. is the week we're rewinding to. Mm-hmm. And President Bush makes a little bit of an announcement that kind of undermines the whole Iraq war this week, oh. 20 years ago. Well, hasn't it been undermined enough at this stage? I ended up reading a commission report that I think was around 500 pages. I didn't read all 500, but it's actually quite interesting. You're going to review it on Goodreads? <laughs> It's a good read for when you're on the pot in the middle oh of a snowstorm. Oh, let's go back to that no? again. Okay. No. Well, speaking of snowstorms, not quite a snowstorm. We do mm. have some weather content. We're talking about a hurricane mm. in uh, North Carolina, which was pretty savage. We've got some NRL chatter. NRL chatter? Yes. Which is, it's, it's, mm. Are we in the NRL season now? Oh, no. It's, stunning? It's, I think we're pretty much when done. When does that happen? You, you mean NFL. Oh, sorry. You're talking about NRL. I'm like, what? NRL, NF, I don't know. There's a ball and there's an N. You've got NFI. That's what's happening there. <laughs> no, the one you like, the American one. What's yeah, that? That's NFL. I like NFL. all, you know, as I've gotten older, I like all sports. You like all ball it's, sports. It's becoming quite the thing to manage all my sports subscriptions. Do you remember? Mm. I just had this great flashback. Oh, God. Here um, we go. You know, when that's you what had, this show's all about. So bring it yes, on. Yes, this mm. is probably more a nineties flashback. All right, okay. Do you remember, like, you have your discount stores, your discount retailers, um, mm-hmm. and markets and things like that in yep. late late eighties, early nineties, where they'd have um, knockoffs of of proper brands. So you know, big sporting brands that yes. are really expensive. Yes, I remember that. Yes, not going to name anyone in particular. Mm. Uh, but there was one, and it was in. I worked in a market. I worked at a fruit shop, and mm. um, there was one of these sorts of stores across the road. And my mother thought that they were selling Adidas clothing. Oh, oh, <laughs> I know. So she purchased it for my cousins because she's like, "Man, Adidas! Like that's really expensive, and they're selling this for so cheap. Like it's a. She's got a matching sweatsuit. Possibly the most camber <laughs> thing your mother's ever done." I know and where this was, is going. The brand, it 
actually said instead of Adidas, it said on it Adahash yes. for all grass sports. Yes. And it was like a marijuana made, leaf instead of that appropriated the Adidas <laughs> logo and made it look like a marijuana. Adihash. She, she legit thought it was Adidas. And she's well, she called it Adidas. She's mm. like run DMC. Oh, it's very legit. run DMC yes. of her, yeah. And she's like, look, I got you this great Adidas. And I don't know if my mm. cousins knew at the time. Mm. I certainly didn't know until years later. Get a matching um, bum bag and they'd look like they're going into business. <laughs> Young. Yes, but when you said you like ball sports, it just made me think of grass sports. South and the, Canberra the, entrepreneurs. <laughs> the Adahash. Adahash tracksuits with all bum bags. Grass sports. Mm, great. What else has happened in the show? worth money if you still be. had that. I, wonder, I should ask my cousin if mm. he still has it. Mm. Um, oh, we've got some, someone from a really big band, really big 90s band, has branched out into poetry. Yeah, right. Do you know, I think we've got another band that's got an album release that saved me from a fate worse than the country of Wales. Really? Yeah, Hil- we'll talk Hillary, about that. Hillary Duff? No, 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 no. It wasn't. That was a film. That was a, the movie, uh, Lizzie <laughs> McGuire. But there was a band when I got there that I discovered that. Thank God I discovered them when I was there because they saved me. Um, yeah, another thing I want to talk about a little bit is Bill Shock. Bill Shock. Which is a, sh- a sign that we are. Did you bi- accidentally connect to the internet on your Motorola <laughs> Razor? I just, I never thought I'd suffer Bill Shock. It's the, the sign that I've become an old wowser. Um, th- there's a couple of ways you can suffer Bill Shock these days is if you order something on Etsy and realize that the postage is about 15 times more oh, than the thing you yes, actually bought. Yes, I've done is. that. So, uh, so I've definitely suffered Bill Shock from that. But um, I'm looking around at music festivals these days. And I get it. It's inflation. It's a different time. All those sort of things. But I do remember the first big day out I went to, I think it cost me $40. $40? Yeah. And the Good Things Festival is happening around December. And I'm, I'm looking at the lineup and it's like, you know, Fallout Boy, Limp Biscuit. I think Behemoth Ooh. are going to be there, which is very interesting. It's a very diverse lineup. Like that very, is. It's just like Limp Biscuit, Fallout Boy, Devo, which would be great. Devo? Yeah. Bullet for my Valentine would be in the early 2000s. Devo was in Whippet. Whip it good. Yeah, Devo going to be there. With Fallout Boy. Mm-hmm. That sounds awesome. Sepultura or Sepultura until you actually <laughs> learn to Eskimo Joe, Boom Crash Opera, Jebediah. Oh, Jebediah, mm. yes. Slaughter to Prevail. Don't know that. Short Stack, Make mm. Them Suffer. Mm. Taking Back Sunday, Pennywise. There is a bit there's of emo there, of, isn't there? Yeah, mm. yeah. Uh, there's, there's, it's very diverse lineup. It's very diverse. Friends of Rom coming mm-hmm. out for that one as well, which is great. And I'm going ticket info. Yeah, I want to go to Sydney, buy tickets, and uh, and and the general admission for this thing is two hundred and twenty five dollars. What? Right. For a, well, do you get a meet and greet for that? For two hundred and twenty-five dollars, get some it, food. Look, it, it seems. I mean, I, I do sound like a wowzer. You do. That yeah. ain't that much. I know, but for a festival as well to see that many mm. bands, mm. and it's in Centennial Park, which is kind of nice, and you know, or you could go to Melbourne to Flemington Racecourse, but it's Bill Shock. It's just mm. it's and and the reason why I think it's so expensive now is not necessarily because of um, the bands trying to gouge their fans or anything like that, but the business model for music has completely changed. Mm. They're not making as much money off album sales Mm. because of streaming and things Mm. like that, so they have to tour and they have to charge money. And it costs a lot of money to even bring out a band, especially especially when you look at the cost of air travel at the moment and then you see how much profit some of these airlines are making in the wake of 
almost being brought to their knees by a certain pandemic. They're doing pretty good now. But, like, that costs so much money. So it costs mm. so much money to bring them out there. So I'm not complaining about $225 a ticket. I'm just shocked. It's a lot. Well, here's one that's probably a little bit cheaper. This is a bargain, actually. So you know how five, and there's only three of them now, so they should be called three, but they're called five. Do you, is that why you get a discount? <laughs> well, you, you know how they did a tour last year or the mm. year before? Mm. And I think, that was it the Rudy Hilaris? It was something like that. Yeah. Um, with S2S, sister yeah. to sister, Christine mm. and oh, what's the other one's name? Anyway, I like them. Um, they're, they're doing it again because it was so successful. So March next year, five are touring with S2S. So yeah, maybe nice. you could go to that instead because that, a ticket, is seventy nine ninety, or if you go with a group of four, fifty nine ninety. Really? 60 bucks you if should, you bring you three a, mates. You should get a discount if you go with five, but really, <laughs> I mean, that would make Meet and greet, one hundred ninety nine ninety. That's pretty good. It's sold out in Perth already. Really? Yes. Wow. In Perth, no. Well, I mean, economies it. of scale. Adelaide at the Lion Arts Factory, Melbourne, 170 Russell Street. <laughs> What's so, Is that someone's house? Just on a vacant block. They're before yeah. someone's house. There might be a venue there when, when uh, they arrive. Metro yeah. Theatre in Sydney, the Tivoli in Brisbane. Tivoli. And the Tivoli? Tivoli. Oh. Tivoli. It's not a pasta dish. I did. I feel venue. a bit hungry when I saw that. It's a Tivoli. Oh, some burnt sage. Um, and Perth. The burnt on, sage in this studio right there. They've put on a second show in Perth, actually. So one sold out, the other one hasn't. So that's early next year. Good that's exciting. Mm. That's exciting yeah. for anyone who wants to go. But again, like I think, I think you, proportionally, them, there's, you've got two groups there and then you've got this festival where there's like – you know, this 20 odd, 30 odd for 200 bucks. So the, the festival still wins out regardless if you're looking at a price per <laughs> performer. And given that there's only three people of five left in this, I'm so confused. We should do this. We had a, a couple of dispatches for our hatch match and dispatch mm. segment with the clue for a few weeks here. And this is something that I don't think we've done before. I don't think we've done before. We may have. And if we have, like, I don't know, you can write a sternly worded email or whatever. Anyway, this one's a match. I want to know both people. Oh, gosh, that's said tricky. This. We met doing a play. Um, at a great theatre company in L.A. called The Evidence Room. I was kind of, like, shunned by the rest of the cast because I think that they wanted to, like, ignore me before I ignored them because it was right after the second season of Will and Grace and I think they thought I was, like, the fancy TV girl or something. Very recognisable voices. Mm. I'd, I'd, I'd be surprised if you didn't know who both of those people were. I like both of them. Yes, they're pretty good. We'll check mm. in at the end of the show. The news for the 17th of September, 2003. On this day, 20 years ago, President Bush said that he had seen no evidence that Saddam Hussein was involved in the September 11 terrorist attacks. Wait, what? Well, yes, but no, but yes, but what? What? Mm. I thought... The whole catalyst for this was that mm -hmm. they were in cahoots with Al-Qaeda and they were providing them or they had the potential mm -hmm. to provide them with weapons of mass destruction, which was the whole reason 
why they were going to go over there. But we all know that that wasn't really the reason. I think there was something to do with daddy, daddy issues, and finishing maybe what daddy started in Iraq. Oh, Bush Senior. That's just my. That's just oh, my. Okay. Biased opinion. Yes. So we know, obviously, the attacks were carried out by Osama bin Laden. Mm-hmm. However, over time, there were discussions and debates about potential connections to Iraq and Saddam. They, I don't think they ever officially came out and said that Saddam was part of the plot, but immediately after September 11, Bush had wondered whether his regime had had a hand in it. Iraq obviously had been an enemy of the United States for years and it was the only place in the world where the United States was engaged in ongoing combat operations. Mm. And I think there were also concerns that Iraq would take advantage of the September 11 attacks. Another interesting thing was Bush himself was a former pilot. Really? And he was... Of what? And he was apparently, and I quote, struck by the apparent sophistication of the operation, some of the piloting, especially the uh, one that hit the Pentagon. Uh, I I don't think that um, it would be hard for George Bush to be struck by the sophistication of anything. I think he would be struck by the sophistication of a Mr. Men book. (laughs) See, it's funny because... He's Mr. Messy, and it's quite sophisticated because everywhere he goes, he makes a mess. <laughs> Richard A. Clark. So I've been fossicking through. So there was a commission, and there's a report from the commission, mm. and it's very lengthy. So I've mm. been going through it. It's very interesting. If you are interested in this, I, I suggest reading it, having yeah. a look, having a peruse. Mm. Richard A. Clark at the time was the National Coordinator for Security, Infrastructure Protection and Counterterrorism. Mm. He was called upon to give evidence, and it was called the National Commission on Terrorist Attacks upon the United States Investigating the Attacks of September 11. Very long, very long working title. It is, But yes. you can just look up 9-11 Commission. That, that's a better title. Uh, and he said that on the evening of September 12th, so the next day, President Bush told him and some of his staff to explore possible Iraqi links to 9-11. And he quotes, see if Saddam did this. That's what, that's Bush, what Bush said. said to Richard Clark. Mm. See if they're linked in any way. See if Saddam, codename Mr. Bump, <laughs> did this. <laughs> Now the president came out saying, well, the former president saying, "Oh, I don't, I don't remember that happening. I don't remember asking Mr. Clark that." But he acknowledged that he might have spoken to him at some point and asked him a little bit about Iraq. I, yeah, look, I, I, I think that is highly plausible. All mm. alleged? Is it all alleged, or is this on the well, record? This is on the record okay. in the commission report. Mm-hmm. So all of these people testified under oath. Mm. Uh, so his testimony during the hearings was consistent with his memoir. So he's actually released a memoir about it all. And he was saying that before and during September 11, many in the administration were distracted from taking action against Osama bin Laden because of an existing preoccupation with Iraq and Saddam Hussein. They were very preoccupied with Iraq and Saddam Hussein. They were. And, and again, I'm saying this is because of the daddy stuff. This is because this is like his daddy wanted to finish what daddy started. That's, that's just my opinion. And what I find interesting in the context of today 
is how everyone's really kind to George Bush now. Mm. You know, in spite of the fact that he sent all these Americans' babies to war. You know, mm. he sent so many people to war. And and I think when you line him up next to what's happening over there now, it's like the, the, everything's just ridiculous and it, it's very easy for him to be painted in a more positive light. But you cannot forget, you cannot forget what this guy did when he was in power. I mean, you can't forget what any of them really did while they are in power. They sent a lot of people to war for not a very good reason. And you think about as well when it was first discussed earlier in 2003 and the opposition right across, remember the protests that we talked about, right? Mm -hmm. Right across the world. And to then get to this point and have him come out and say, oh, actually, no, I didn't have anything to do with it. I I did think... After the the initial Gulf War, like when when they kept Hussein in power, I was like, why did they do that? Why did they leave him in charge of that country? So mm. I get why they maybe want to finish what they started. I mm. get that. But mm. why didn't they do it right the first time? I don't know. There's a lot of lives that go into this, a lot of people, human mm. beings that get thrown into these things. And look, I would never want to be in charge. I wouldn't want to be like tenth in charge. Like imagine having to to deal with what occurred in the wake of September 11 and having to make these decisions and figure out what you were going to do next and represent your country. And I just, I, I could never do that job. Like yeah, that but would be. He's not in charge. It's, but when you're reading through this these hearings and it was interesting because they called up a lot of people that were in these pretty key roles during well, the they time. Was, they were standing side by side with So him. they called up um, Condoleezza Rice. Otherwise known as Connie, affectionately um, known to, by George, used to Donald, call her Connie. Donald Rumsfeld and Affectionately Colin, known as Donnie, Connie and Donnie. Connie and Donnie. Um, Colin, what was he known as? Collie. Collie. Connie, Donnie and Collie. Were all called up and I think they initially, the White House initially refused to allow them to testify as mm. part of the, these commission hearings. But in the end, they I think they had to agree to it after a lot of pressure. Well, as soon as they put them under oath, that's when they really do apply a bit of pressure too because they are obligated to obviously tell the truth under and, oath. And they do, in spite of what side of politics they fall on, I, I know a lot of people in that role take that very seriously mm, because mm. that is the backbone to everything. This is they, they can't take these moral standpoints without, you know, adhering to the infrastructure or the moral structure that is put behind it all. That's how they justify what they do. Condoleezza Rice's testimony was quite interesting. She talked about the discussions at Camp David. So remember how after September 11 they all went to Camp David to work out what was going on and work yeah, out the next that's steps. That's not a person. It's like, hello, it's Camp David. <laughs> Hi, Condi. How's Donnie and Tully? It just made me think of summer camp, sleeping <laughs> in like a, yeah, in like a... No, it's no. A, it's not. No, it's, not it's a like a, it's a hidey hole, it's a place. isn't it? Isn't it a, a place, place where he yes. goes to stay safe when I think so. 
Yeah. Yeah. Poo hits the fan. Camp David. So they went to <laughs> they went to Camp David and her testimony covered a lot of discussions that occurred there between the president, Rumsfeld, mm-hmm. a guy called Paul Wolfowitz. Paul I think Wolfowitz, he was yes. the deputy secretary of defense. So yep. he was second in charge to mm-hmm. Rumsfeld. Mm-hmm. And Rumsfeld asked in during these conversations what they should do about Iraq. And Wolfowitz allegedly made the case for striking Iraq during this round of the war on terrorism. Mm. So they were planning this war on terrorism with multiple Isn't it rounds. isn't that concerning? When they're talking mm. about this round this as round. if it's some kind of sport. Mm. boxing match, something to that effect, this round. Colin Powell also reflected on the discussions and he said that Wolfowitz argued that Iraq was ultimately the source of the terrorist problem and should therefore be attacked. Mm. Powell said that he wasn't able to justify his belief that Iraq was behind September 11, but he did say that Paul was always of the view that Iraq was a problem that had to be dealt with. Wait, Colin Powell said that? Colin Powell. Colin Powell? Who with did the, the PowerPoint. PowerPoint presentation? Yes, Captain PowerPoint. He was the one that stood in front of everyone Colley with the with PowerPoint. The PowerPoint. He's the one that said, "This is 101 reasons why we should go and yes, invade or attack Iraq." Yes. So they're saying in in their testimony, they were saying at this stage, Bush was still looking at Afghanistan as the priority. So they were saying that not everyone agreed with Wolfowitz at this stage. They weren't all going, yes, let's go after Iraq. How can he say that? I just can't understand how Colin Powell can say mm. that Wolfowitz was not able to justify his belief that Iraq was behind 9-11 and yet did that presentation. Mm. Mm. Weird. That's weird. Two days after the terrorist attacks, Time and CNN did a poll and 78% of respondents thought that Saddam was involved in the attacks. Really? During September 11. Really? Which is interesting, isn't it? Because they're having these discussions at Camp David, then this poll's done and it's like, well, the, the people, people believe it. Believe it already. Well, that's it was a very good PowerPoint presentation. <laughs> and so from that time to the beginning of the war and into the summer of 2003, Bush and his administration strongly implied that there was a link between Saddam and al-Qaeda, despite Osama bin Laden's contempt for Saddam as the head of a secular state. They, I mean, maybe maybe there was. Maybe there was a connection somewhere along the mm. line where it's like they did a deal and they were trading weapons or offering a safe haven for them or something like that. And I think that was the fear that Saddam would provide the weapons of mass destruction to Osama's people. Didn't, um, didn't the U.S.? provide weapons to the militia in Afghanistan. Anyway, keep going. My fellow citizens, at this hour, American and coalition forces are in the early stages of military operations to disarm Iraq, to free its people, and to defend the world from grave danger. On my orders, coalition forces have begun striking selected targets of military importance to undermine Saddam Hussein's ability to wage war. And so that was the angle. It was that Saddam might take advantage of what has already occurred and the risk that... It's a good angle. The risk that the weapons of mass destruction 
could pose if they were put into the hands of the terrorists. It is a good angle. Like if it's like, okay, we've been at war with this country for a while, there's been an attack on our soil, even if those guys aren't responsible and they do have the capability to do this, this could serve as something that would inspire them to come at us. That that does make sense. That makes sense. That is That seems quite logical to me that if – Somebody was going to form, like you know, it's if we if there's an opportunity to kick them while they're down after somebody's already launched an attack, so that we can get a few in there as well. Then yeah, maybe we're going to do that because we hate these guys. So I think there is some logic in that. It, it's 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 it, they form an argument that would be able to convince a large mass of people. And then he had the State of the Union address and it was quite obscure and general and he spoke mm. of Iran, Iraq, North Korea. Remember that was the axis of evil but discussion? But I, I remember the cheering as well. Like he was applauded at the State of the Union. And he was declaring that the US will prevent regimes that sponsor terror from threatening America and our friends and allies with weapons of mass destruction. So, again, there's that link. It's like... They could potentially supply these weapons mm. to these other groups, so we need to stop them now. And that was that was the link that he made. Well, if you scratch the surface of that statement and that link, America is a superpower. But superpowers do not stay superpowers forever. Mm. And I feel like they are thinking, and probably for very good reason, they've got a lot of intel about the Middle East. It's a very wealthy part of the world. There's lots of export. There's money in the Middle East. Mm. There is the ability for them to build themselves into another superpower as well. I'm not saying Iraq. I'm not saying Hussein. I don't think Hussein was smart enough. But there is that kind of looming on the horizon. That's the long game. I think there is a long game there. And I don't know that even Bush was smart enough to probably be thinking about that long game, but he probably plays a small part in that long game. Mm -hmm. I'm sort of getting a bit conspiracy theorist here, and I don't want to get too wacky with that, but... I mean, look at the state of the United States now. Like, they are still a superpower, but there are some big cracks in the foundations. Mm, mm. Yeah. It's interesting that you mentioned earlier about kind of finishing what Daddy started because mm. in, I think it was in 2002, late 2002, members of Daddy's administration actually came out publicly against a war with Iraq. Really? So there was a guy called Brent... Scowcroft, I think, and he was Bush Senior's national security advisor mm. and I think Condoleezza's mentor and he wrote an opinion piece called Don't Attack Saddam. There is scant evidence to tie him to terrorist organisations and even less to tie him to September 11. An attack yeah. on Iraq at this time would seriously jeopardise, if not destroy, the global counterterrorism campaign we have undertaken. Worse, there is a virtual consensus in the world against an attack on Iraq at this time. So that was obviously a lot of the protests and, and what was happening around the world and the commentary there. Yeah. There was also a guy, a former NATO Supreme Allied Commander, who said, we haven't gone far enough in the war on terror. No evidence supports the Bush administration's assertion that they need to invade Iraq soon or else suffer terrorism at the hands of Saddam Hussein. 
another guy. So this is so look, Hussein is a bad guy, right? We know he's a bad guy, but yes. they they chose to keep him in power when they could have deposed him ages ago. And then Richard Clark, the one who gave the testimony and was talking about what was going on at Camp we David, and Bush was at like, the start of the news "Hey, story. hey, can you suss out whether Saddam was behind this?" Yes, he was interviewed with National Geographic, and he speaks on some of the reasoning behind the invasion. I got called in by an officer on the Joint Staff who told me that he said, you know, we're going to invade Iraq. I said, but why? And he said, I don't know. He said, I guess because we don't know what else to do. But in fact, the why of it went back a decade to the spring of 1991. It went back to the argument inside the Republican Party about whether or not the Gulf War should have ended with the capture of Baghdad and the overthrow of Saddam Hussein. And in 1991, when I talked to Secretary Wolfowitz, you know, he said, we didn't get rid of Saddam Hussein, and uh, and we should have. Hmm. He said, we've only got five or ten years to clean up the, the Middle East. These old Soviet surrogate regimes like Syria and Iraq, get rid of them before the next superpower comes along to challenge us. See? Wow! Yeah, Richard Clark's very interesting character. Mm. Um, I, I, and I tend to agree with what he's putting down there. Mm. You know, that they makes missed sense. the opportunity earlier on, and now yeah. let's go back and, and take that opportunity. That somebody's going to come along and be a bigger superpower than yeah. them and bump them off their perch. You know, it's it's like it's you can you don't stay at the top forever. This this happens like history dictates this. It's like even through ancient civilizations, you look at like Rome and the fall of Rome. Like they were a superpower, you know. So so they obviously wanted to go in there and and finish it. And Wolfowitz is like, we didn't. We made a mistake. And and Clark just confirms that. And then what was so interesting? Remember the boat. Remember the boat speech where oh, he flew on, on the, the boat the, with the, the accomplished. yes, with the banner that he brought in. But he told them the people on the boat made the banner, and they said we didn't make the banner. He brought the banner with him, so no, don't mm. blame us. And it was like the big mission accomplished yes. thing, and make it look like he was actually in the Gulf, but he was parked but off was, the coast of San Diego. Somewhere else, the yes. boat had actually returned. <laughs> the boat had had served oh, over there. It's a very controversial boat. Yes. On that boat, when he made that speech. I think it was a ship. I think that's probably very on offensive. On the ship. <laughs> Anyone who's in the Navy, on the, that's very the offensive. watercraft that he was on, mm. he said, and I quote, the Battle of Iraq is one victory in a war on terror that began on September 11, 2001. That's not true. He said, We've removed an ally of Al-Qaeda and cut off a source of terrorist funding. That might be true. With those attacks, the terrorists and their supporters declared war in the United States and war is what they got. So he was still, when he's on the boat mm. with his sign, he's still making those links, mm. right? Mm. So that's mm. May 2003. Mm. Then this week, 20 years ago. That's not too far away from when that other speech happened. A couple of happened. months later. It's not a couple of months. It's probably that. It's close to a year. June, July, August, oh, September. Was it, oh, okay. Yeah. So what's that? That's four, four months. Four yep. months later, he's talking somewhere. I don't know where, but he's making a speech and he says, and I quote, no, we've had no evidence that Saddam Hussein was involved with September the 11th. Oh, that's Mr. Bump to you. <laughs> <laughs> That's what Mr. Bump said, and he gave no explanation. No, no, no. Saddam is Mr. Bump. Oh. <laughs> Mr. Bush is reading the Mr. Ben books. 
gave mm. no explanation as to why he had changed his tune from the 1st of May 2003. Have to. He's the commander in chief. When he went to war, from everything that he said over the last he can say two years. He likes. Just did it. Yeah. Just did a bit mm. of a turnaround. Mm. So the report, if you're interested, it is a very interesting one. It's called the 9 11 Commission Report. Mm. It, so they did the hearings, I think it was in 2003, but the report was released in 2004 after the hearings concluded. And the main finding of the report was that there was no credible evidence of a collaborative relationship between Iraq and al-Qaeda regarding the attacks. That's right. There's no supervillain team-up. It, no. it was all manufactured. Mm. That, that narrative was manufactured. Mm. So Richard Clark has a testimony. He te- in the testimony that we're talking about now that he he offers an apology. This is uh this is pretty powerful stuff. Uh, because I have submitted a written statement today and I've previously testified before this commission for 15 hours and before the Senate House Joint Inquiry Committee for 6 hours. Uh, I have only a very brief opening statement. I welcome these hearings because of the opportunity they provide to the American people to better understand why the tragedy of 9-11 happened and what we must do to prevent a reoccurrence. I also welcome the hearings because it is finally a forum where I can apologize to the loved ones of the victims of 9-11, to them who are here in the room, to those who are watching on television, your government failed you. Those entrusted with protecting you failed you. And I failed you. We tried hard, but that doesn't matter because we failed. And for that failure, I would ask, once all the facts are out, for your understanding and for your forgiveness. For that, Mr. Chairman, I'll be glad to take your questions. Man, what the <laughs> And now it's over to the weather with Mel. <laughs> That's nice. Do you like that? Yes, I feel like it's about time we have a weather intro because we do tend to have a fair bit of weather content and it kind of deserves its own segment. Yes, yes. Weather, when you've got the news, you do have the weather segment separate. Mm, tonight on T-minus 20, it'll be cloudy with a chance of bullshit. <laughs> Could go on, meatball. Um... 18. I am a meatball. <laughs> 18 September 2003. Yes. Hurricane Isabel makes landfall as a Category 2 hurricane on North Carolina's Outer Banks. It directly kills 16 people in the area. August 6, 2003, a tropical depression forms off the coast of Africa. It didn't take long for the National Hurricane Center to give it a name, Isabel. It's forecasting pretty much on target through its entire run. Isabel was coming for the United States, something forecasters, including our own Don Slater, worried about early on. Overcoming a little bit of a sense of panic uh, because it really, really did look like it was going to get us. The good news about Isabel's track is that several days in advance, there was indications that it was going to be an East Coast impact. But there was a problem. Isabel got big. 
and very fast. The uh-oh moment is the fact that three and a half days out from landfall, Isabel was a Category 5. Uh-oh is correct. Category 5 is nothing to oh, sneeze at. Category 6 is Day of Destruction. Is it? Is that what the film was? Yes, Category yeah. 6, Day of Destruction. Well, category so Category 5, because I think they just made up Category 6 for so, the movie. Well, so Category 5 is like the worst. At the time, at the time, Isabel was the third deadliest Atlantic hurricane on record and the worst since Hurricane Mitch in 1998 and the deadliest, costliest and most intense hurricane in the 2003 Atlantic hurricane season. They have a whole season and that mm. was the worst one that year. So she formed near the Cape. Is it Verdi, Verdi or Verd? I want to say Verdi because Verdi feels it, good. It sounds like a nice pasta, um, but it's. I think it's Cape Verdi. Like that, it just sounds better. Mm. I, don't, I, I want to apologise for my ignorance there. But anyway, the Cape Verde Islands, Verdi, Verd. Now I'm doing both. <laughs> Cover all bases. Yeah. So she formed there from a tropical wave on September 6th in the tropical Atlantic Ocean, like they were saying. It moved northwest and within an environment of light wind shear and warm waters, it got bigger and bigger and bigger. And I think it reached a peak of about 266 kilometres an hour. That's a bit blowy. That's very blowy. You'd mm. lose your hat. Mm. Mm. That was around week. September 11th. So that's like, what was that, four days later, five days later? Yes, so it fluctuated in intensity for four days and gradually weakened and then made landfall on September 18 in the outer banks of North Carolina. Mm -hmm. The winds had died down a little bit to 169 kilometres per hour, 105 miles per hour. Could you imagine? That's horrible. You'd still lose your hat. Your umbrella would turn inside out. I used to live um, on Bass Strait. In a, town called Bernie, in, in a town called Bernie in Tasmania, which is on Bass Strait. It's right on Bass Strait. It's the northwest coast of Tasmania, yeah. right on Bass Strait. They had a big house on the hill. I thought you were exaggerating. Overlooking Bass like Strait. It was near Bass Strait, and, not necessarily the, on it. the wind, you know, the roaring 40s, that big wind that comes through no. like from South Africa all the way to. No. It is so windy there, <laughs> so windy there. It's it's. I think you'd get around 100 kilometres an hour. Did you lose your hat? Many times. And I had a great kite that I had a lot of fun. <laughs> with in that kind of – but 166 kilometres an hour is off the chain. That's that's extremely annoying wind. Like, you know, mm. that's – yeah, that's scary. That would hurt. Mm. Like the wind at the beach with sand, sand blows on you. Oh, yeah, Injury. terrible. It's like were well, you being sandblasted, really. Did you have sand at Bernie? We did. It was on the coast, yes. So did the wind blow the sand on you? Yes. Was yep. it bad? It wasn't great. I didn't go down to the beach when it was blowing at 100 miles an hour. Why would I do that? That would be ridiculous. Well, maybe just to see how there were penguins. it was going. There were penguins down there. Was they were it? pretty freaking uncomfortable. <laughs> like, this sucks. <laughs> what are we doing here? Going back out to sea. Oh. Yep. Well, back to Isabel. Two days before landfall, the National Hurricane Centre issued a hurricane watch. They declared mandatory evacuations for 24 counties in North Carolina, Virginia mm. and Maryland. Which was, I think it equated to hundreds of thousands of residents and more than 12,000 people ended up having to stay in emergency shelters. 19 major airports along the East Coast were closed. More than 1,500 flights were cancelled. Amtrak cancelled trains. Schools were closed. Businesses were closed. Oh, the kids would be stoked. No school today. It's a hurricane day. It was a big day. <laughs> it's not, I mean, you know, big what are you day. doing on a, you know, a snow day? Wonderful, delicious, great. <laughs> Hurricane day, not so not great. Not so good. Mm. 
resulted in $5.5 billion in damage, 51 deaths, of which 16 were directly related to yeah, the storm's effects. Mm. Uh, about a week later, Bush declared disaster areas for 36 North Carolina counties. Yes. He also blamed Saddam Hussein. <laughs> AKA 70, Mr. Bump. For- 77 counties in Virginia and the entire state of Maryland mm. uh, and all three counties in Delaware. Uh, so it was, yeah, it was pretty devastating. Yeah. Let's never do the weather again. <laughs> Let's go to sport. Sport's always good. Sport's always good. When all this is happening, when America's in all this turmoil, they're still watching sport. They're mm. still watching the NFL. It's the it's the great American. Well, it's not the great American pastime. That's baseball. But mm. but the NFL is still a big deal, and it's a welcome distraction. And this time, twenty years ago, Baltimore running back Jamal Lewis sets the NFL single game rushing record when he runs for a whopping. 295 yards and two touchdowns on only 30 carries in the Ravens' 33-13 win over the Cleveland Browns. Phenomenal. I don't know what any of that means. Is he a fast runner? Is that what it's saying? So the running back, so you know how the quarterback throws the ball most of the time and the wide receivers catch it. Well, I know the quarterback throws. That's all I know. Well, and so they throw the towel on the ground basically and get the, angry. Well, that's 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 when they get penalised. They throw a flag on the ground. Oh, it's a flag. Yeah, I thought it was a towel. It's called a flag. Does it look like a towel? No, it's a. Flag. Is it made of towel fabric? It's a very small towel. I think it is. You're more a towel like a fabric. face washer. Yeah, but it's that kind of fabric, isn't it? Uh, it's not, not. It's not flag material. It's not like, no, it's not Terry toweling. It does look Terry. I think it's weighted. I think it's like a, a little, like a, sort of a little tally. weight with a rubber band and a ribbon around it. Well, anyway. the quarterback and the Terry toweling throwing thing—that's all I know. So, okay. what does this mean? What is he? Why, why is he so good? The quarterback What's does it? not throw Terry toweling. Um, <laughs> the quarterback throws the ball. There, yes. There's two kind of plays. Like, okay. if you want to break it down to really simple terms, is it like they're, they're going to do a, a pass play where they're going to throw the ball or they're going to do a run play where they're going to give the ball to the running back and he's going to try and bust through the uh, defensive line in order to gain yards. So Jamal's to, the running back. So Jamal is the running back. The so one, he's supposed to run anyway. So why is this a big deal? Isn't job. that his job? He's the workhorse of the team. He's supposed to run. So why is it so great that he ran? Generally, 295 yards is, is a lot of yards to be running again. Generally, I don't know, you might get like – over a hundred yard game is a pretty good stat. So for is a his job back. to run, and then someone's going to stop him running, or does he then give it to someone else who runs? No, you're not allowed to give it to someone else who runs. He's just got to run. He's just got to run until yeah. someone stops him. That's right. It's not like rugby That's league where he could offload the ball. Okay. He's just got to run. Right. And hope that, that no one stops dangerous. him or prevent other people from being st- stopping him. And other players on on the offensive team that he's with will try and block people from tackling So normally him. the running back will get stopped at some point. They won't get well, that far. Generally, yes, okay. but they can make a break and do quite well. There's lots of times where running backs can go the length of the field if they've got a good block and the opposition don't read the play and they think they're going to pass but they're going to run and all of a sudden they're like, oh, crap. They're running, not passing. We've set up to defend against a pass and we don't know what to do now. Oh. It's it's actually very strategic. It's it's like chess with like big meaty people. 
Mm. Mm. It's it's a coach's game. Anyway, he was a running back for the Baltimore Ravens and the Cleveland Browns, and he did 295 yards, two touchdowns, and 30 carries in this particular game. It was phenomenal. And Redmond hands off to Jamal Lewis right up the middle, and Jamal has just set a new NFL record as he gets up across the 25 to the 26-yard line. We've just seen history in Baltimore fans. Jamal Lewis has yes. established a new NFL single-game record. Yeah, it was a it was a huge record, and he 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 did it twenty years ago. It was he held on to that record until two thousand and seven, when Adrian Peterson, who is a phenomenal running back, played for the Minnesota Vikings, went for two hundred and ninety six yards against the San Diego Chargers, and he was he was inducted. Jamal Lewis was inducted into the Ring of Honor in twenty twelve for the Ravens. The Ring now, of Honor. What's a Ring of Honor? Well, that's it's the, that's the place where only the best players go. It's a special. There's ring. a ring that you wear. So does he get a ring? No, they only win a ring if you win the Super Bowl, I think. But let's not confuse the issue. In okay. 2004, it actually surfaced that Lewis had been involved in talks about a drug deal. So let's not confuse the issue. Let's dilute it with some terrible uh, mm. behind-the-scenes stuff. This is a twist I didn't see coming. Yeah, he was <laughs> – really? What a twist. <laughs> it's because he's good at running fast. So, you know, <laughs> the cops come in the middle of a drug deal. He's like, police, and he runs away. The cops are here. With yeah. his ring. He was charged with conspiring to possess with the intent to distribute five kilos of cocaine and using a cell phone in the commission of the first count. Lewis, actually, he pleaded with prosecutors and in 2004 was sentenced in uh, 2005 to four four months. Oh, he went to jail? Four months in jail. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, he was released on the 2nd of June. He, uh, He signed a free agent contract with the Cleveland Browns before the 2007 season, but he retired after 2000. He still held that record for a little while, Mm. 2003 to 2004 years he held that record for. There you go. There's some sport for you. Get that up, yeah. Still have no idea what's going on, but sure. Well, now it's time for me to have no idea what's going on while we talk about the charts (laughs) and the music and the things that I just feel old every time we do this. I'm starting Mm. to feel older and more insecure and more like a wowser each and every time. Thankfully, we had a weather report. That really piqued my interest this week. (laughs) What's happening in the charts? Charts in Australia and the UK, same as last week, Where is the Love, Uh, Black Eyed Peas featuring Justin Timberlake, still number one. Mm. And over in the US, here's the top five. obsession with people taking their backsides to the floor I've noticed in the last couple of yes, weeks. There is. I feel it's like is that, is that just music's way of saying Shaking your tail feather. Sit down. 
<laughs> Just sit down. Sit down and have a rest. Yeah. No, no. Mm-hmm. It's like going down on the floor and then getting back up and making oh, it so all doing seamless. Squats. It's a squat yes. track. <laughs> mm-hmm. It's leg day. Mm. Shaky tail feather, still number one. I just, I'm still so impressed with the fact that that was the, from the soundtrack of Bad Boys 2. It had absolutely mm. nothing to do with the movie. But P. Diddy's like, got a label called Bad Boy. Yeah, he was very I need assertive. some promo. I need mm. some promo, so I'm just going to do a song for it. That's that's the best marketing since Diddy used Proactive. Very assertive. Isn't he clever? Mm-hmm. I do respect him for that. Uh, number two, Beyonce Baby Boy. Number three, Right There Are Chingy. Number four, Into You, Tamiya or Shanty. Do we know which, which one was on, on that? Which one did the robot select, Tamiya or Shanty? Yes. I'm going to guess Tamiya. Was it Tamiya or was it a Shanty? Uh-huh. It was Tamiya. It was, a, it was actually a guess because it sounds exactly the same, to be honest. <laughs> it all sounds Tamiya, the same to me, Shanty, Mel. Same thing. All of it sounds the same. And a new entry in at number five, Frontin. Frontin. Yeah, I know that I'm carrying on, never mind if I'm showing off. I was just frontin'. You know I want you. I feel like uh, Pharrell's just been listening to all that Timberlake stuff and seeing how successful he's been and he's watching him, you know, go from strength to strength and be on the front page of this and headline with the stones at, what was it, SARS stock and all of that sort of <laughs> stuff. And he's just like, you know what, I mm, can do this. I made that guy. I, he did. <laughs> that sounds, all of that's that you yeah, can hear, that's, that's where me. it comes from. That's it's me. all him. That's my, yeah. that's my gear. Mm. Give me some of that. Mm. Frontin' is the debut single for producer, rapper, singer, songwriter and fashion designer. Oh, he's a Pharrell fashion Williams. designer. I think he's got shoes and a clothing yeah, range. Yeah, beware the skinny men shop. He Well, mm. he's won a lot of most stylish men of the year and Has the he? world awards. Yes, yeah, yes, right. he is known for mm. being quite stylish. Uh, obviously also featuring Jay-Z. At the time of release, he did insist that it was a one-off and he was like, no, I'm purely a producer. It's just a little one-off. He's just fun. Just a little one-off. He's just fun. You just know, one time. I, I would probably have to shop where um, John Mayer, if, John Mayer. He, if John Mayer was doing clothing, John, yes. that's because it's where the bigger than my body men shop. I thought, I thought he's. I am so confused with John Mayer and the bigger because you were talking about some other body part at one point. Oh, no, point stop. Okay, cool. Let's go back to the Neptune. So we're just <laughs> completely uh, – it was I a side so step. I'm so confused. I stepped to the side and I'm jumping back <laughs> into the – Let's come back. Yes, yes. Come back into Pharrell. Continue. So, yes, he insisted that it was a one-off and he wasn't an artist in his own right, but, you know, he then releases his own solo yeah, studio fun. album mm-hmm. in 2006. From though, and and this is probably why he said this that that this was just a one off. He originally wrote Frontin for Prince, so he Did loved he? Prince, and he'd been trying to work I, out a way you know to what? hashtag collab with Prince. I don't reckon Prince would have been into it <laughs> at all, at all. <laughs> he wrote it because I, I know Prince, like you know Prince, yeah, good mates, yeah. And uh, you know that Prince is like, no. A bit of a fan of Prince, actually. I love Prince. I, I don't think Prince I would have been. Just knowing Prince well, the way that I do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. Yeah. He wouldn't be into it. 
It was, I think what he wrote and presented to Prince was slightly different from what we hear now in front and he was a little bit different. Mm. And he thought Prince would really go for it and apparently he gave it to Prince and Prince just said no. <laughs> I told you. That is so Prince, I told isn't you. it? Like not like, oh, you know, good try, mate. Maybe you can keep that for yourself. Or, no, not really me. <laughs> Prince has just gone, no. 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 Not even no. No. Yeah. No. Yeah. No. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not. I don't want to do. I've never fronted in my life. And that's the, yeah, that's mm. the song refers to putting up a facade or a false front to impress mm. your peers. And mm. that's just not. Prince. I got that. I'm down with the lingo. You are. Yeah. I'm hip to it, the baby. S- <laughs> the song uh, uses influences from the Beatles 1965 track in my life. Mm. And. A Stevie Wonder single in the bridge as well. Really? It peaks at number five on the Billboard Hot 100, which is where it is at the moment, and it was Pharrell's biggest solo hit until Happy in 2013, and his biggest collaboration ended up being Blurred Lines with Robin Thicke and T.I. Well, that, that one, one didn't date well, did it? The video clip particularly not, no. Mm. There's been a lot of discussion about Yeah, Robin about Thicke that didn't date well either. Lately. Mm. Yeah. Pharrell has been widely referred to as one of the most influential and successful music producers of the 21st century and has had a really significant influence on music over the last 20 years. And when you look at the list of things that he's done, but let's start with something that he wrote in the early 90s. I didn't know this. He wrote this part of Rump Shaker for Teddy Riley. Yep, yep, it's Teddy. Ready with the one to check up. Rets and the fences and the fence, but I'm the wreck on the track. Bought the honey shaking bumps and they backs it. Booties of the cutie, steady shaking, but relaxing. The action is packed in a jam like a closet beach. Bound to get you up cold, flowing like a faucet. Not me to make you sit, not me to make you jump, but yet make the hotties in the party shake it. I like the way you comb your hair. Uh, I like the stylish clothes you wear. Is that right? Can you believe that? Like that's early nineties. He he wrote that. So Teddy Riley discovered him. So he was in a group. Pharrell was in a group with the other Neptune guy, who's that Chad Chad Hugo. Hugo. Yeah. And Timberland. So Timberland and Pharrell are actually cousins. Are they? And they both worked on Justified. Yeah, they both worked on Timberlake. Uh, so he, Teddy Riley discovered them. So Teddy mm. Riley's the guy that was in Guy who then went to Black Street when they were no diggity Black Street and then went back to Guy. Right. Teddy discovers them, but then Teddy's like, I'm going to be on Rump Shaker, zoom, 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 zoom. Pharrell, can you please write my verse for me? So mm. Pharrell actually wrote the lyrics to that part of Rump Shaker. I'm hanging in there. You Amazing. Nearly, you nearly lost me. I get stuck on the fact that it's like shake your tail feather, Rump shaker. Yes. Why are they well, all? Well, rump shaker's nineties. In rump shaker's defence. Why are they all? We love us. Into butt stuff. There is a lot of butts. There's a lot of butts. There's a lot of getting low. A lot of There's butt stuff. Yeah, but some of the stuff that he's worked on. So he produced "Shake Your Ass." More Watch butt yourself. stuff. There you Mystical. go. Mm-hmm. Hot and her. Mm. Nelly. Mm. I'm a slave for you, Brittany. Mm. Rock your body, Justin. Well, there you go. That's a whole body thing. Yeah. And Holler Back Girl. I didn't oh, know he Gwen did Holler Back Girl. Yeah, yeah, I can hear that, actually. I can hear his did not uh, know that. stylings in that, that Holler Back Girl song. Yeah. And then he obviously had Beautiful with Snoop Dogg. He's just, he 
And when you start looking at the stuff that he's produced over the years, these mm. are songs that have been really major turning points in the, those particular artists' careers. Well, turning points in in the respect that they have either breathed new life into them or, yes. or made them very discoverable, yeah. if that makes any sense. Yeah. So, well, yeah. I don't think Justin, here's a big call, I don't think Justin Timberlake would be where he is today if he didn't do that Justified album with Pharrell. I 100% agree with that. I 100% agree with that. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, he he's got he might have the personality to carry that off, but he does not have the musical ability. Mm. And so he's very reliant on his producers. And that producer, Pharrell, mm. is... Certainly the one that put him where he was. And interesting that Gwen Gwen teamed up with him later in her career as well because she's already obviously a very established, very successful solo artist at this Mm. stage. It's interesting that she then chooses to work with him at at that point in her career and that was quite a big song for her. Yeah, it was. I think she and uh, it it was a little bit removed from sort of the no doubt stuff Mm. to a degree. Maybe that's why she teamed up with him to have a bit of a different sound and to teach us all how to spell bananas. Yeah, but but also confuses because I do know the difference between shit and bananas, (laughs) and how to spell both. Have we got albums? Let's do albums. We have some albums. Uh, David Bowie's Mm. 24th Mm -hmm. studio album called Reality is released this week 20 years ago. Yeah, New Killer Star was the uh, song there. What I like about Bowie at this stage in his career when he's on 24 studio albums is Bowie is making music for Bowie now. Mm. He's doing it because he loves it. He doesn't really care what anyone else thinks about it. So you get this really eclectic sound uh, from him. And, and this really eclectic and diverse mixture of tunes. And I think he toured off the back of this one too mm-hmm. and it was quite mm-hmm. a big tour for Well, him. of course it was. And I don't think, you know, the funny thing about that is is I wonder how many people went and saw him on that tour actually bought that album. And I don't mm. know I don't know the answer to that, but anecdotally I would think that uh, they just go because it's Bowie. Because he had the album, we spoke about it, it was either last year or the year before. It wasn't that long ago mm. and that one just really didn't do anything either. Mm. But it was it was quite experimental, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah, but that's what I like about mm. him. Like he's just he's always trying to he's always reinvented himself. Mm. And he kind of did to that degree. I mean, I didn't find it a, a very inspiring album, I have to say, but like I said, I don't think he's making that music for me. I think he's doing it for mm. himself. Anyway. Star Sailor. Do you remember mm. them? I do. Are they still kicking around? I don't think they I are. I don't are think they? so, but they had this song. Another floor song. Mm. Yeah, but there's four having, on there. I maybe think there's, having a rest for four minutes on the floor before you get back uh, up. Something to do about driving, I don't know. Um, but that what was the name of that album? Silence, Silence is, is easy. easy. Yeah, their second album. Mm. 
I don't know. I wasn't a massive fan of them, but I do remember that song. It was a big song for them. Probably the only big song. Somebody that you really like had an album out as well this week, DMX. Mm. Yeah. Yep. Grand Champ, fifth studio album. This album debuted at number one on the Billboard album charts and Mm. featured guest appearances from heaps of big artists, 50 Cent, Cameron, Eve, Styles P when he still had the P before he gave it to Diddy, Mm. Monica and Jadakiss. Mm. That's literally all I can play of that song. There is, that was a good song. Yeah, where the, the hood at? He says the N word like a, a real lot during that, and that's all I can play. Is this? That's it. That's it. All done. All done. Oh, damn Another band that had an album out this week was The Darkness, Permission to Land. This was released in the US uh, with singles like Get Your Hands Off My Woman, which is fantastic. Uh, Love is Only a Feeling, Growing on Me, and this one. This is such a fun album. Remember, so much we, fun. We, we played that song when we walked out of the, the chapel after we, we got did. married. It was great. Yes. This is a very happy, fun song. And th- so this is what a debut album, honestly. Yeah, such a it, great album. It was released in the UK a few months earlier. So this this week is the US release. Mm. And it is the it was their first album and it just launched they, them. They were great. They sounded yeah. like nothing else at the time. They wore spandex. They did the whole yeah. old school rock and roll yeah. thing. Justin the singer was doing star jumps off drum rises and it was so energetic, wasn't he? Oh, it, it was fantastic. Yeah. It was so good. And uh they saved my life when I was over in Wales because I was just so depressed over in that country. I'd been on I'd had to go to on a trip for the radio station. You had to watch Hillary Duff's movie twenty to, times I'd on the I'd never been on an international <laughs> trip. I had ten days to prepare. I was over there with people that I really, really did not like. And uh I was over the other side of the world. It was awful. And um, and I found, I went to, I, I, the food was also terrible there. Like it was really bad and I was what scared was, I was going to get mad, mad cow disease. What was the food? So, so he's, it was, was just, it like baked, was it like English food? It was That's what it was. Sausages it was and sh- beans and sausages, eggs. Sausages, baked beans, eggs and cockles, which are these What's horrible, these little mollusks that you'd find washed up on the beach that like taste a, like low tide. Like a pippy? And lava bread, Is which was like seaweed. I'm, I'm totally on all of the Welsh national dishes. And I'm sure if I'd have gone there on my own volition as somebody with a desire to <laughs> go there, cranky. I would have had a much better time. But the fact is that the people that I, would tra- I was tra- – it wasn't the country. It was the people that I was travelling with. You met a lot of nice people. There were some there. lovely yeah. people in Wales. I remember they were very that. welcoming and some were a little bit scary. And I, I did go to one club where I had an ashtray thrown at my head. You but, probably deserved it with that attitude. No, it was really scary. It was a really scary place. It was anyway, in, it was tell in us the about- it was in the valleys actually. Oh, yeah. the valleys. Um, yeah, but but I and I, I the food wasn't really agreeing with me, and I was a bit scared of mad cow disease at the time because that had just happened. But so I went to Borders, which was a bookstore. Oh yes, yeah. And the first day I went there, I bought Permission to Land by the Darkness and an egg sandwich. <laughs> And I and I and I put permission to land in my discman and listened well, eating to that your egg sandwich? the entire time. Was it like, curried egg or I would, regular egg? I would go to bed and listen to that. It was regular egg. With lettuce or just egg? With lettuce. 
was it a whole whole grain or white bread? It was whole grain bread. That's good. Yep. And At I borders. and and I I would buy. I would go to that borders as often as I could because it was hard to get people to stop because <laughs> the people sandwich. I was with that I didn't like would never stop there for me. And so I would buy like three or four egg sandwiches and take them back to the hotel and put them in the fridge. And then I'd just live off the egg sandwiches in the darkness the entire time I was over there. That sounds like a good time, to be honest. So the the things that I – my memories – the fondest part of my memories of Wales were egg sandwiches in the darkness. (laughs) That's not true. There were other things. Like we were in this uh, pub in – it was the Uplands Tavern actually. It was a beautiful pub. And they had a Bichon Freeze dog that loved to get amorous with Ugg boots which was wildly entertaining. Anyway, The Darkness, Permission to Land, what an album, what a breakthrough, how good was it to see them. What's happening in music news? Music news, okay. Fifteen September two thousand and three, Billy Corgan announces that Zwan 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 his alternative rock supergroup is it Zwan is that how you say it? I, that's how Zwan. that's how I'd pronounce it. Zwan. Yeah, Zwan. They have broken up. That's a shame because they're kind of positive, which is not like Billy Corgan. Well, that's not true. Well, but Smashing Pumpkins was a bit. Well, he's know. back on brand when he explains the reason why they broke up. He said, I really enjoyed my experience with Zwan, but at the end of the day, without that sense of deeper family loyalty, it just becomes like anything else. Really? Hmm. So obviously his band members weren't family loyal. Well, that, he's an interesting cat, Billy Corgan. Hmm. Yeah. He seems a bit broody. So then on September 17. Possibly unrelated, possibly related. Mm. Billy Corgan decides to present his poetry at the Art Institute of oh. Chicago's Rubloff Auditorium. Really? So he's like, I'm sorry, Zwan, I don't have time for you. I'm getting into my poetry. We're breaking up. I've got to go and read some poems over in Chicago. That's awesome. I like, well, he's a good lyricist. Surely he'd be good at, at poetry. I mean, lyrics, mm. poetry. Almost the same thing. How many poets did I just offend just then? <laughs> Probably a million. So he reads his poetry mm. over in Chicago and mm. then I think it was like a bit of a precursor, a bit of a taster of his book of poems. He then releases said book of poems called Blinking with Fists. Blinking with Fists. Blinking with Fists is Ooh, the name of his collection of that's poems. That's uh, esoteric, isn't it? Mm, and it's on the Goodreads. Is it? It's on the Goodreads. Should we, and uh, the good people have the feelings. Well, before the good people have the feelings, I have some examples of his poetry. Oh, yes, I actually. feel like contextually we should probably, it's important mm, to get some. So just let me set the scene for you here. You ready for this? I am so Indecision ready for this. Indecision speaks volumes for all to hear. No, I'm not going to do it like that. Are you doing Cartman does Billy yes. Corgan poetry? <laughs> <laughs> Cow's mom is the bitch. No. Um, the indecision speaks volumes for all to hear. I clear all paths before me. 
thinking in time without a worrying mind that I will come to a place of rest, a last caress. Perhaps of chance, my hand on your belly, I softly begin to sing, Lilo, Lilo, Lilo. Pulling from you what little I need, freeze the moment, make it last. What you have can never rush past. Oh. Mm. Mm. This one's called Chiroscuro. Paint your face with ashes. Paint your face in ashes. Draw your face in coal. Draw your face with coal. A woman without a son. A woman. A woman without son. A woman without son. Well, at least he's not correcting himself there. Is a man without soul. A man missing soul. The train leaves at four. The train departs at four. <laughs> Please don't be late. Please don't be late. There you go. Why does the second poem have, like, backup in brackets repeating everything? That's weird. Why does the second poem <laughs> have support in brackets? That oh, would be strange. Is this, that is, yes. oh, it's just a little bit of context, a little bit yes. of explaining Context there. is Great. king. Thank okay, you. so now you've had a taste of Corgan's poetry. Oh, I need a lie down. What's happening on Goodreads? What did they say? Kimberly, one star. Mm. Not even the 10 plus years I spent adoring Billy Corgan could save me from having a poor opinion of this book. It mostly reads like bad high school poetry that he wrote with a thesaurus next to his desk. That he wrote with a thesaurus <laughs> next to his workstation. <laughs> wow. Mike, one star. Yes. I didn't expect this to be good, but holy gemosis. What's a gemosis? It's like a cross between Jesus and Moses. <laughs> oh, holy. Mm. Oh, sorry. Holy gemosis. Mm. It is bad. Mm. On the back cover, the blurb says that these poems further solidify Corgan's place as the voice of a generation. On the rear cover, the description. <laughs> I'm not sure anything sadder has ever been written. Sad that someone would be dumb enough to make the claim. Sadder still if it's true. You could walk into a local junior high, steal a seventh grade girl's notebook and find better poetry under her little heart-dotted eyes. Oh, that's, that's mean. <laughs> these, these people are mean. Like this guy is like laying his soul bare. He's poetry. making himself vulnerable to an audience by writing poetry. They don't like it. It's not like he's putting some kind of implausible story. He's expressing himself in written word and these people on Goodreads are also expressing themselves yes, in written word and, they're and being quite cruel. Steve Balfour, mm. one star, not four stars. Mm. Balfour, one That's star. That's B-A-L number, number four. four. Steve Balfour. I see what he's done there. Yes, one mm. star. I imagine this might appeal to the 15 to 24-year-old dark-hearted emo well, poets cool. of Instagram. Great, Steve Balfour. <laughs> Piss off and let them read it. <laughs> In fact, I often pictured Corgan sitting at his faux Victorian writing desk, clad in a long black cloak, thick eyeshadow, with a goblet of elixir and a plate of Twinkies at his side while writing this drivel. But anyone with taste in words and imagination should not waste their time exploring this, not even as a novelty. One star putrid. Oh, that's it, it gets more interesting, though. Stephen... 
not Steve Balfour. Stephen mm. replies to Steve Balfour one star. I would have said goblet of Mountain Dew, but to each their own, I guess. To which Steve Balfour replies to Stephen, that is better than anything in his entire book. Oh, that's brutal. The world is a vampire, Billy, honestly. Look, <laughs> do, you know, do you know something interesting about Billy Corgan, right? You want no. to talk about Mountain Dew? You don't want to know anything interesting? No, I don't oh, okay, know anything. We'll do I know because you asked me if I knew anything interesting about him and I said I don't know anything interesting about him. Please tell me. I do not know something anything interesting. interesting about him. Oh. <laughs> no, I do. What I do. do. You know? I was correcting you like the poetry did. Oh, okay, right. It was Good. like a running game. Oh, you were being my brackets. Yeah, yeah, Thank you. Thank totally you. tripped over there. Yes. He purchased the NWA. Do you know what the NWA? Well, you know what the, this is not the NWA that you're thinking Not of. the ones with attitude. This is the no? National Wrestling Association. Billy Corgan bought the, Na- no, sorry, National Wrestling Alliance, the NWA, which is one of those wrestling things that existed well before the WWE, it was one of those wrestling territories. Like Ric Flair was the world champion of the NWA back in the day. Oh, okay. He bought that in 2017. It was so before WWE became a thing, NWA was the thing in America. Was that the one with Gorgeous George? It was the biggest wrestling company. So he bought that company in 2017 and has been trying to, I, I think he's going to probably go broke. So they were like the OGs. They weren't as big as WWE, but he bought them out to kind of save them and reinvigorate them. They were the OGs. They were big before the WWE. That's what I'm saying. They were the OGs, but then they got left Mm. behind, and so Mm. he bought them to revamp it. Is that the the idea? Well, yeah, he's he's trying to bring it back. So he's he's basically is he writing the storylines in uh, poem? I think he's got something to do with it, and hopefully, it is better than his poetry. But mm. it, it, I think that they're doing like YouTube specials and stuff like that at the moment. They're starting out small, but he he's like he's in, he's invested. You know, it's crazy, but he obviously has a passion for it, as he does poetry. It doesn't strike me as a wrestling fan, to be honest. And there's all these shitheads trying to shoot him down. Well, he is a wrestling fan. He really loves it, and I think that's wonderful. Does he drink Mountain Dew? I just don't. uh, Well, he probably does if he's into (laughs) wrestling, and he probably also likes monster trucks. I just don't want to hear anybody sort of using Smashing Pumpkins tunes as their entry music (laughs) when they're coming out. Let's do entertainment. Let's go to the box office and talk about a film that came out and was number one in the US this week, Once Upon a Time in Mexico. It was a fabulous movie. Did you ever see Desperado? No. That was also a fabulous movie with Antonio Banderas. Here it is. I never heard of him. Who? The man you recommended. The man is a, a myth, a legend. And if he's still living... He's the one you want. (laughs) I make you nervous? No. A renegade agent playing both sides. I work for the CIA. Mexico is my beat, and I'm walking it. He's out to find the outlaw who became a legend. I need you to kill the man. He's being paid to kill the president. So why me? Well, frankly, because you've got nothing to live for. What's wrong? 
Oh yeah, it might get a wee bit dangerous. <laughs> You want to know the secret to winning? One has to rig the game. This is a setup. He's about to discover that legends. I'm here for my time. I didn't think you'd ever come back for this thing. Neither did I. Play by their own rules. Yeah, they do. Legends do. Robert Rodriguez played by his own rules. He directed this. He actually photographed it, scored it, shot it, edited it, produced it, directed it, wrote it. Did all of it. He's a bit of a one-man band, and that can be uh, that can be risky when you're creating art because you don't you don't have anyone, no collaborators to call you up on your own BS. No right? editors, yes. Mm. But so I, the it's the third installment in the Mexico trilogy that Rodriguez did. So he did all three, did he? Yeah. He so it started with El Mariachi, and then it went on to Desperado. Desperado is fabulous. And then he finished with Once Upon a Time in Mexico. So with this one, Antonio Banderas comes back as El Mariachi and he is recruited by a CIA agent named Sheldon Sands, who's played by Johnny Depp, to kill a corrupt general who was responsible for the death of his wife, Carolina, who was played by Selma Hayek. And it got 66% with the critics and 64% with the audience. So the critics liked it a little bit more than the audience. And it was mad. It was crazy. And I think uh, Neil Norman from the London Evening Standard probably said it best. A succession of set pieces, however vivid and colourful, will not alone make a coherent movie. And this is far from coherent, colourful, but nuts. But it was fun. Oh, I thought it was good. Fun. Colourful, but nuts. Colourful, but nuts. Enjoy that. Yeah, I reckon they should put that on the box. <laughs> Except they don't do boxes anymore when you watch movies because no. they're all on. The, imagine it. That would be good when you're looking at uh, the thumbnails for your movies because you never know what you got. But if they had like a quote from a review, you were like colourful but colourful nuts. Colourful but nuts. That's what I'm feeling like tonight. I'm feeling yes. like something colourful but nuts. <laughs> mm. I'm there. Number one here in Australia, we jumped aboard the pirate ship, Pirates mm. of the Caribbean, Caribbean, however I, you want to say it. I see what you it. did there. Yep. Yes, thank yep. you very much. Uh, we also had a premiere on the 15th of September 2003, the Sharon Osbourne Show, which yes. was, that was in a talk show format, wasn't it? Yes, it was. So hot off the success of the Osbournes, everyone started mm. to realise what a character Sharon Osbourne was as the matriarch of that family, so they gave her a talk show, which obviously led to her being on more talk shows, but it only ran for one season, mm. 2003 to 2004. She actually had DMX on the show. Also in the movie. We all get to see your bum. It's a very sexy bum. See, um, it, it wasn't supposed to be out like that. I thought the sheets was covering it up. Don't you know? believe and, yeah, you. Yeah, they, they used the wrong one. You, know? <laughs> you mean they used the wrong take? Yeah, they used the wrong take, you know? You you didn't know that your bum was hanging out? Nah. Uh-huh. Nah, I, I thought the sheets were on, you know. It looks good, But though. I was, like, zoned out. I was, you know, just, like, you know, focused on my acting and... You know, trying to get no, that right. No, you wouldn't know that it was. Yeah, and let me know. tell you something, he's got a real nice, hard, muscly bum. Really nice. Yeah, so that was cancelled due to poor ratings and Too the critics didn't talk. like it. Yeah, she's into butt stuff as well, but yeah. she's talking to a rapper, so that makes sense. Um, <laughs> but but they were saying due to a disappointing array of guests as well, including little-known actors, they just had DMX on there. 
What do they want? Didn't they have Anna Nicole Smith? Anna as Nicole well? Smith was on there. Marilyn Manson was on there. She they said that she made it too much about her own family. But I'm like, well, that the whole reason she's there is because, because of, the of that. Because Kelly of the show, was so. also there. Yeah, wasn't she would she, be on there. Most as well. of the interviews. It's interesting that it was cancelled and then she has now been on multiple talk shows. She was mm. most recently on The Talk mm-hmm. talk show. Mm. I think she started there in 2010 and resigned after a bit. I think there was a bit of a scandal a couple yeah. of years ago and she yep. ended up resigning. Yep, yeah, that's there, why they get on so. it. That's why they get her on there because mm. they want her to be scandalous mm. anyway. Yes. Uh, let's go to TV news, 19th of September, an institution in Australian TV. High mm. five. Celebrate their 200th episode. So many animals inside of me. So many animals set and free. To run through the jungle, fly in the air. Swim in the ocean, go anywhere. So many animals inside of me. That was high five with so many animals inside of me. It should be like S Club 7. And I feel sad about that. It did a bit. This was designed for a preschool audience, but because a couple of the chicks were quite attractive in High Five, lots of dads watched it as well. Mm. For a dad audience. Mm. Kelly Crawford, who was in the group, was actually in, do you remember the Teen Queens, Be My, Be My Baby? And do you remember we interviewed her and I asked her about that and she basically ignored me? Do you oh, remember that? When we were about on the, the radio. Yeah, we interviewed, we interviewed her. I think oh. we interviewed her representing High Five, or we might have interviewed a few so of them. So she wasn't allowed to acknowledge. And I asked the question about Teen Queens, and she just brushed over it and wouldn't answer it. She, I don't know if she was not allowed to talk about it or if she was embarrassed by it, but I did a dance. I did a, a lip sync, actually, to their be my baby when I was in year 11. Oh, good. I'm glad you didn't do a lip sync to so many animals no, I inside didn't do it of to- me. <laughs> And then who else was in there? There was Kathleen, yes. uh, Nathan, Charlie, Nathan Foley, who I think Kelly went out with. One of them went out with Nathan, and there was mm. Tim. And yeah, Charlie Robinson, and she's now she's on Getaway or yeah, one of those Getaway reporter that's travel right. shows, mm. and she used to have a radio show as well. Mm. They were they were really popular. They were kind of like um, the Young Wiggles. They, they were, were like the award winning. They were the edgy dads want to watch Wiggles, mm. weren't they? Yeah, Logies. Uh, for Most Outstanding Children's Program, mm. 2000, 2001, 2004. Mm. Yeah. I think that, that, that the ratings definitely were, uh, you know, higher on Daddy Daycare days. <laughs> I did enjoy the hair too. The hair was very early 2000s. Dads would be walking around doing their housework, so many animals inside of me. <laughs> I did enjoy the hair. They had the really cool, there was a tiara and there was, you know, where you did the little twists and the bits Mm. sprouted out. It was Mm. very early 2000s, yes. Congratulations, High Five. 200 episodes. So many animals (laughs) inside of them. We are almost at the end for another week, but it is time for Hatches, Matches and Dispatches. Mel, what have we got this week? We're going to start with a non-wedding. A non-wedding. A wedding that a conscious should coupling? have been. No, well, it wasn't a breakup at this point. It was a wedding that was meant to be but didn't end up happening on the mm. 14th of September. Jennifer Lopez and Ben Affleck were scheduled to marry on September 14, 2003, yeah, yeah. but just a few days out they, at the time, 
delayed their big day was the oh, official. A conscious delaying. A conscious delaying. The a conscious unscheduling. <laughs> yes. Mm. It was going to be a massive affair. There was hundreds of guests. Apparently the attendees didn't find out where it was happening until days before the ceremony. Well, that's good. That's to keep the paparazzi away, right? Which was lucky because they called it off anyway. They Shit. hinted that they'd lost control of what should have been a romantic day and I quote, due to the excessive media attention surrounding our wedding, we have decided to postpone the date, mm. is what they said in a joint statement. Well, why did they tell they shouldn't have told everyone? Don't when put out a press release, no problems. When we found ourselves seriously contemplating hiring three separate decoy brides. That's amazing. That's really decoy cool. Decoy J-Lo's. How cool would that be on your resume? I was a, deca- was a, decoy, a decoy J-Lo for her wedding. Yeah. How do you how do you even get that job? Like what's the I'm a professional decoy bride. Imagine. Imagine mm. being in the casting for that. Mm. You've got to be a J-Lo bride. Yeah. Fantastic. But, no, they figured out when they had to hire three decoys that maybe this wasn't a good Imagine idea. Something a, was a, a bit off. A decoy groom for Ben Affleck. <laughs> or you've got to be able to – prerequisites. It must be able to smoke cigarettes and look miserable <laughs> at all times. Earlier this year, Ben actually admitted that their first attempt – because they obviously got married this year. I think it was oh, that's January, right. February. Yeah. They got married in Vegas. It was very low-key. She wore a dress from um, a movie that she was in, like a dress that was left over what from What a cheapskate. Her. And he mm. wore a jacket out of his closet. Well, yeah, he's probably what got a, a few. dunk of cigarettes. Yeah, and misery. Yeah. <laughs> mm. He admitted that their first attempt was overshadowed by the excitement surrounding their relationship. They had the, oh, was it Gilly? Gilly. Rhymes with really. Yeah, whatever. Gilly. 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 Gilly or yeah. Gilly. The movie Gilly. 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 Uh, and that became a story in and of itself, he said. And the funny name, the Jennifer Lopez romance, the overexposure, it was a perfect storm, so we decided not to. But, yes, all ended well with them tying the knot earlier this year in Vegas. Oh, that's awesome. We've got a uh, – sadly, we've got a dispatch of a legend on the 19th of September. Slim Dusty. Oh, gosh, Good. I remember when Slim happened, yeah. Dusty. But there's a nothing so lonesome. Morbid or drear Then to stand in the bar Of a pub with no beer Now the publican's anxious For the quota to come And there's a faraway look on The face of the bum Yeah, that was very sad. David Kirkpatrick, his real name, Slim Dusty, country music singer-songwriter, dies of cancer at age 76 on the 19th of September. He was just so iconic. Mm. uh, Growing up in country towns around Australia um, and and listening to the AM radio, there'd always be Slim Dusty on the AM radio. He was Australia's king of country music. He still is, as far as I'm concerned, and one of our most awarded stars. His career spanned nearly seven decades. So all of all of his seven so it's like he started when he was six, basically. He released more than a hundred albums. Yep. Sold more than seven million records, earned over seventy gold and platinum album certifications. He was the first Australian to have a number one international hit song with that song, Pub with No Beer, 38 Golden Guitars, Aria Award and on uh, 14th of April 1981, Space Shuttle Columbia, on their first mission, 
they broadcast Waltzing Matilda, his rendition of Waltzing Matilda, broadcast that back to Earth. Really? I yes. did not know that. He's yes. he's amazing. Was, uh, he from, was he from Kempsey? I think uh, it's around that area. Kempsey Tari area? Kempsey Tari, maybe. Um, one of my favourite covers of Slim Dusty's songs is the Screaming Jets doing the Cunnamella Fella. Oh, very, yes. very good. Very, very good. But it was very sad. 76. I mean, he's still quite young, I think. By mm. well, seventy six, but he was still kicking. Like I, mm. I, I feel like I, I saw him Aria Hall of Fame or something around this time. Yeah, yeah. and um, he, there was still plenty of life in him. So it was very sad when he passed away, which was a bit of a shame. All right, let's list the mood. At least we didn't do a clue for a dispatch this week, which is good. We've got no. a clue for a match. In fact, the uh, celebrity couple that said this. We met doing a play um, at a great theater company in L.A. called The Evidence Room. I was kind of, like, shunned by the rest of the cast because I think that they wanted to, like, ignore me before I ignored them because it was right after the second season of Will and Grace and I think they thought I was, like, the fancy TV girl or something. Yeah, very distinguishable voices. Mm -hmm. If you said Nick Offerman and Megan Mullally... You would be correct. Nick Offerman obviously made famous by the character Ron Swanson in Parks and Rec. That is definitely his most famous character. And Megan Mullally, who you would know from Will and Grace. They got married this time 20 years ago on the 20th of September in Los Angeles. And from all accounts, they're still together, I think. They um, did an interview earlier this year talking about how they were still very much in love and yeah. still going strong. So unless something's happened in the last few weeks, I'm all assuming good. they're still well, together. Well, and thankfully uh, we still are as well after all of these podcasts, which is a small miracle. <laughs> anyway, um, thanks very much for putting up with me, Mel, first and foremost. Oh, yes. And thanks fine. very much to you for listening to me being put up with by Mel <laughs> over the course of however many episodes we've done. We're about 108 now. That's pretty good. Yeah. Um, yeah, thanks heaps for listening. This is the end of the show. We have reached the end for another week you can go and see us on the socials anytime you like you know what else you can do if you're ever in our neck of the woods jerobombra hotel trivia thursday nights we do a jackpot question about what has happened in the podcast the week before as a way to shamelessly plug the podcast and you know the worst thing about that no prick from the pub except for no that's not true there are a couple <laughs> of tables a couple of very loyal tables yes. cheryl Karen, the plotters, and Cheryl always does a theme for her team base. But nobody else, nobody else listens except for Bopo. Bopo listens as well. So three groups of people listen and then the rest of the pub couldn't care less. No. Even though I'm trying to wave money under their nose and no. buy their affection, it doesn't happen. But um, I have those other people's affection just because they're really nice people and they're very charitable, clearly. And you've been very charitable, so I'm going to – is there anything happening next week that we should be talking uh, about? We've got the Emmy Awards. Oh, yeah, the Emmy's great. Uh, oh, do we want to talk about the guy – just brainstorming. Yep. Let's just do some show prep right now. Yep. Do we want to talk about the guy that crossed the Atlantic Ocean in an open-air wicker basket hot air balloon? Yeah, that absolutely. Sounds it sounds fabulous. Um, oh, NCIS. Yep. Premieres. I think there was an earthquake. Oh, well, good. We've got the weather sting. Excellent. Does earthquake come under weather? Earthquake is not weather. I think it is weather That's related. tectonics. No. <laughs> it can go in the weather That's segment. That's ridiculous. Though. You cannot put earthquakes in the weather segment. I feel like 
like it's kind of could go there. I feel like we need to take this conversation <laughs> offline. So we will see you next week. Okay, we'll go and brainstorm what's yes, going to happen next week. Brainstorm. Yeah, tectonics, brains, <laughs> weather. What? <laughs> bye. Thanks for taking the time to rewind. Join us next time for another week that was 20 years ago. In the meantime, come and reminisce on the socials. Search for T-20 Podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok.